For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. It is Thursday, December 28th, and we are back. We are still at the International Ballroom of the Beverly Hills Hotel. We have now hit the bar and enjoyed some celebrity gawking, discussed our picks, Lucas, welcome back for part two of the townies. I've only had three Manhattans, so I'm totally fine. <laughs> yeah, your bow tie is looking a little off. You should probably fix that. I don't even know how to tie a bow tie, so I'm screwed. Uh, oh, it's a fake. It's a, it's a yeah, clip-on. It's a clip-on. Oh, that's too bad. Um, someday we'll get you a stylist. All right. We're going to go through our categories. Part two. I think part one went okay. And we're going to start with the executive fail of the year. And I'll go first on this one. I think it's a pretty clear executive fail of the year. I'm going to go with Viet Dinh, who is the, or was the, general counsel of Fox News. Uh, Fox Corp, actually. He was the top lawyer, considered a you know close confidant of the Murdochs. And like many people in Murdoch land, you are a close confidant until one day you are not. And his downfall was due to the Dominion ruling, the Dominion versus Fox News defamation case, where Fox News was forced to pay almost $800 million to settle a case that Viet Dinh, according to court papers, did not believe was a big deal until all of a sudden it was. So Viet Dinh, top lawyer at Fox News, the executive fail of the year. Will we have a repeat performance with the 2024 election? I don't know. And the Smartmatic case is coming up, too. They have announced that he is going to step down from his role. Um, there was also some unflattering stuff about him that came out in some court filings. Like, he was known to be a multiple martini lunch guy and, like, would disappear. Nobody knew where he, where he was. And, you know, when you read all this stuff behind the scenes, you understand how these hosts at Fox were just kind of allowed to go on the air and say whatever they want. And that's not typically what happens at most news networks. And they now have a $800 settlement that uh, is directly attributable, in my opinion, to the lack of oversight from the legal team. So, yeah, not great. That sounds like fun to me. Two martini lunch. Yeah. No, hey, listen, if you can if you can do it, go for it. But then, you know, don't come back and 
let Tucker Carlson and Maria Bartiromo say whatever they want. My nominee for this is going to be a little bit of a repeat from something we, we talked about last week, but I, it, to me, it's just such a fail that I have to do it again, which is George Klivikoff and the entire Pac-12 <laughs> team. With you allowing... will not shut up about this. Well, I'm sorry. How do you allow one of the... This is a sport that makes billions of dollars a year. You've got some of the premier academic and athletic yes, institutions in your conference. Yes. And you completely mismanage media's negotiations such that the league ceases to exist. No, it's it's horrible. It's a joke. And it just plays into this notion that people on the West Coast don't take their college sports seriously, which was never true. People absolutely do take their sports seriously. But now they don't have a premier league to show for it. But all right. So my runner up was the Scooter Braun situation. Scooter Braun losing all his clients this past year. Kind of an executive fail, although he is now focused on his Korean media company that he is now the CEO of. Yeah, you and I disagree a little bit on this one. Yeah, you you don't think that's that big of a deal. You think he sort of was over management. Yeah, like it it was reputationally bad and he clearly sort of drifted out of managing, but he took his company, he sold it for a ton of money, got rich, and some of the clients leaving, I think, was just sort of general managerial churn. The Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande ones were the big ones. And Justin is is sticking around for some reasons that we don't need to get into. The And the Ariana thing, I think, boiled down to like she sort of screwed up in this affair that's now turned into her relationship with her co-star in Wicked. And like he didn't want to deal with it, basically. And yes, that's a bad look <laughs> if you're a manager. Like he clearly just didn't want to do that anymore. Well, Taylor Swift fans, you can find Lucas on Twitter. Um, he is at Lucas Shaw. And please tweet at him. All right. Next, we're going to go to the low-key flex of the year. And I'm going to give this one to a manager named Jason Weinberg, who has a number of clients. But one of his clients is Andrea Riseborough, who you probably didn't know until the Oscar season of this past year, when she, out of the blue, got an Oscar nomination for a movie that almost nobody had seen called Two Leslie. But one day, this movie started being discussed by every A-list actress out there. And that was 100% due to the harassment campaign, or some would, some would argue lobbying campaign, that Jason Weinberg orchestrated with another actress, Mary McCormick, who's the wife of the director of Two Leslie. And lo and behold, they got Andrea Riseborough an Oscar nomination. And good for them. It was so effective that the Academy had to change the rules this past summer to not allow this kind of directed and very aggressive campaigning by uh, by the grassroots people like Jason Weinberg. So big flex for Jason Weinberg. You were so good at your job that you got the Oscar rules changed. This is one of those stories where it took on a total life of its own and I like willfully ignored it. I, you know what? You can do that, but it is one of the most amusing things because people don't understand how the award season works. They don't understand that these are political campaigns and it is every bit as competitive and cutthroat as electing the mayor or the governor. And there are strategies and consultants and lobbyists and events. And when you see this nomination for Andrea Riseborough, it encapsulates everything that is hilarious and arguably wrong about the Oscar season. And that's why I love that story so much. Yeah, it is not a meritocracy. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, all right, my runner-up was IMAX and Rich Gelfond, the CEO there. The low-key flex being that you basically need IMAX to become a summer hit. 
And he was able to be a kingmaker this past summer with the Barbie and Oppenheimer phenomenon. Mission Impossible losing its screens to Oppenheimer essentially killed that movie and allowed Oppenheimer to take off. And we saw how successful that movie was. So low-key flex for IMAX. My answer for this is not one I enjoy as a consumer, but it's Disney and soon-to-be Amazon effectively making you watch advertising in something you've been watching without ads, or you have to pay more. The ad foisting. They went in the complete opposite direction of Netflix. Netflix is like, okay, if you want to pay less, you can you watch ads and it's fine. Here's a discount. The other people were like, you know that thing you're getting for eight bucks a month? You now have to watch ads. Otherwise, give us 11 bucks a month. And guess what? It worked for Disney and it's probably going to work for Amazon. Oh, you think it's going to work for Amazon? I'm not so sure because Amazon is in a different situation because Prime Video was given to the customers of Prime for free. And it was this great add-on to a, a subscription service that I use for delivery. And now, in order to get Prime Video, the same service, you're going to have to pay $3 a month extra. It's going to cause a lot of people to think twice, I think. But that's only if you want to watch it without ads. I think everyone is just going to keep their Prime. And if they watch the video, they'll watch ads. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe. I don't know, though. I, I like It felt like a big value add to have Amazon Prime Video with no ads. And I don't know how much of a value add it feels like if it's just another ad-driven service like Freebie or Tubi or Pluto TV. But you're not going to cancel Prime, right? No. So the only question is, does this mean that you no longer watch Prime video maybe because not. you're so yeah. annoyed by ads? I don't think so. I think you I would, don't know, maybe. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I, but, but I think it's annoying. Amazon is the customer-first company. This is not customer-first. That I will agree with. All right, let's move on to the movie marketing miss of the year. You have thoughts on this? You know, I had an answer, but I, I, I kind of changed my answer in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, so, audible here. My answer was going to be Disney because I think that they've had a bunch of movies this year where they're just, for whatever reason, the messaging they're getting out there is not working. And I know that some of it is that the movies aren't as good, but they've they've been able to take only so-so movies and turn them into big hits before. And everything about their machine has broken down, including the marketing. However... But you blame you the have, marketing for the misses? I don't know. I, I, know you have, I know you have thoughts on that, but I actually think the better answer, because I just enjoy enraging fans, rabid fans of pop stars, is Beyonce. Oh! Because Really? She she just decided that she wasn't really going to promote her movie in the same way that Taylor Swift did. I don't think her movie was ever going to be as big as the Taylor Swift movie because Taylor Swift is just a bigger star at this point than Beyonce is. But I've had enough conversations with people around it where Beyonce just like didn't want to do the promo for this thing where it's all about you. And if you want people to go and show up your movie, you got to be everywhere, which Taylor Swift was and Beyonce was not. The Beyonce movie made $42 million worldwide, a fraction of the $250 million that the Taylor Swift movie made. But we're falling into this trap of comparing them. If Taylor Swift had not come out, I think $42 million for a concert film that most people thought would probably go to Netflix is not bad. It's fine. But I think it could have been double that if she really pushed it. Because the thing is, is that from an artistic perspective, her visual work is way more interesting than Taylor Swift's. Sure. But right, she's not as big of a draw. And, and we saw that in the concert grosses as well. But I don't know. I don't know if that's a marketing. It's just like she just doesn't do as much. Taylor Swift 
markets the shit out of whatever she does. Yeah, that's why it's a relationship. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to... You don't want to do yours? Oh, you know, I have one, but it's more of like a... It says more about the state of the industry than it does about a marketing miss. I have Fair Play as my miss of the year because this is a movie with Alden Ehrenreich and Phoebe Devner. It was a big hit at Sundance. Netflix bought it for, I believe, $10 million at Sundance. Big success. I think it might have been 20. Made, oh, you know what? I think it was 20. Yeah, it was a big success and like poised for this big, you know, awards run or star making run for these two. And then, you know, Netflix drops it on the service. It does fine. And it kind of disappears. These two are not in the awards conversation. This movie, you know, a generation ago, this would have been a star making movie for the two of them. It's like a fatal attraction style kind of uh, sexy thriller set in the financial world. And now it goes to Netflix. It doesn't get the initial awards heat. The director, Chloe Dumont, they brought her to Toronto. I went to Toronto. I went to the party they threw for her. It was very nice. But like, it didn't really catch on with the initial awards voters. And they just kind of dropped it. And now it's like a cautionary tale. If you want to get the big money at Sundance, yeah, you can do that for your movie. But there's a chance that it'll just go onto Netflix and disappear. The only thing is, one, I'd say, I don't know that that's an awards movie. I think that's the type of movie that if it achieves what you think it should, it should have been a modest to potentially major commercial hit, more so than a big awards contender. But I'm also colored on this because I didn't really like the movie. Well, okay, but the reviews were very good. And the reviews, the reviews were yeah, good. I don't want to say what is and isn't an awards movie. The audience, you know, the voters decide that. But it seemed like it at least had a shot to go there. and when you sell a movie for that kind of price at Sundance, you kind of expect that it will at least be in the critical conversation. Birth of a nation, baby. Oh, but that's different. That's different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Next is the Did I Say That Out Loud Award for the media fumble of the year. I'm going to give this one to my favorite, Jenna Ortega who managed to crap on her own show in an interview on the Dax Shepard podcast. She basically said that the scripts were not good for Wednesday. Keep in mind, this is the most successful show in the history of Netflix. She said that she had to come up with the famous TikTok dance scene. It was going to be a flash mob, but she vetoed it. And she said, I don't think I've ever had to put my foot down on a set the way I had to on Wednesday. Not great when your lead actress is shitting all over your very successful TV show. Really strange because it was such a huge hit and totally changed the trajectory of her career. And they also haven't even started shooting the second season, which she should want to happen because it can continue to make her a huge star. I just don't, I don't get what she's doing. Yeah, I have a, a, you know, we're not doing a call sheet today, but I have a prediction on Wednesday. I do not believe that Jenna Ortega will be on this show beyond the second season. I think that's a safe prediction. I think why there's a reason why they are developing spinoffs like the Uncle Fester show and some others they have in the works. And I just feel like this may be two and done for her. So I'm going in the complete opposite direction with this. Not even, not Hollywood at all, really. Uh, but I'm going to take Jan Wenner 
uh, who gave it an interview with the New York Times in which he was asked about his his book about why he only wrote about sort of white men as great rock stars and basically said that they were the only ones who qualified and that there were no women or people of color who who merited uh, that level of analysis. This was amazing. If you ever read this Times interview, you got to read Jan Wenner, former editor of Rolling Stone, you know, publishing icon, and he just like buried himself. And he got ousted from the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame after this. I mean, look, people already kind of knew that he was a dickhead because Joe Hagen wrote a great biography of him. I read that, that book. Also Very sort good of book. a history of Rolling Stone. But man, you should go down as sort of one of the most influential figures in kind of modern music and media history, which you still will. But it's going to be high up in every obituary that this guy was kind of sexist and racist and didn't appreciate how influential all these other people were and basically just wanted to talk about Bob Dylan. Yeah, and Bono. That was my favorite. Bono is the visionary, but like Joni Mitchell and some of these others were just not worthy. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Daylight Saving Time is back. Wait, wasn't that a movie from 2009? Okay, anyway, I do love more hours of daylight. But if you're hiring... It really doesn't matter because even though it may feel as if your day is longer, it won't help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Once you post your job, ZipRecruiter sends it to 100 plus job sites and then uses smart technology to find people with the skills and experience to match the position. So spring forward with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers get a quality candidate within the first day. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com town. Tap the banner to learn more. Let's move on to assessing ourselves here because we're going to give the Mia Culpa I Was Wrong Award. And I will start because I'm going to officially take back my shitting on Wonka and Hunger Games, both of which I predicted would be massive flops. And Wonka will hit 300 million this weekend. Hunger Games already passed it. This is the Hunger Games prequel that came out last month. And I will admit, I was wrong about both of those movies. The good news for you is that you weren't as wrong as I was. (laughs) Yeah, but should we do this now? Craig, should we do our official box office draft results now? Yeah, I feel like we we know what's going to happen with Aquaman. So I think we can finally make it all. All right, so give us a little drum roll here. The official result of the 2023 The Town box office draft. So to give a quick brief recap here, Matt's team consisted of Little Mermaid, Guardians 3, Fast 10, Barbie, Wish, and Lucas dumped Oppenheimer on Matt. Uh, Lucas's team consisted of the Super Mario Brothers movie, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Aquaman 2, The Flash, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and via Matt, The Hunger Games. With that said, after a year of... uh, movie going, Matt's movies won by about $1 billion. Wow. (laughs) That is a drubbing. And it all comes back to my mea culpa, which is if I hadn't given you Oppenheimer, it's a a pretty close race. Very close, yes. And I should have just taken, trusted my gut, and or if I trusted my gut and taken Barbie with the fourth pick, it would have been all said and done. But I will say, I didn't think that Oppenheimer was necessarily going to be like an outright bomb, but I did think given the cost and the length that it would 
uh, that it, it would not be a huge hit. But it was only like 120 million, I think. I know. It wasn't I, that wasn't, I, I, I wasn't thinking. It was it was dumb. Because remember, we took the budgets and we took the box office. So Oppenheimer was like all meat for me. Barbie, all meat for me. Lower budgets, huge upside. And and even if you gave him something like Wonka, I mean, Matt would still have a nice little boost from that too. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you will be taking Craig and I to a Dodgers game this year. Lucky for us, the yeah. price of Dodger tickets has gone up significantly. <laughs> buy me a Fifty-dollar Coors Light. <laughs> no, That'll Craig has to buy the beers, though. That's the that's the ruling, right? Or I will buy beers, and and Craig uh, can buy the hot dogs. They will all it will it will cost us five hundred dollars to eat. And we'll have to do the next box office draft for twenty twenty four soon. In the next yes, we will. We'll do it in January. Um, and I've already got a couple picks. So, Lucas, you, you will have a chance yeah. to redeem yourself. I've done, no, I've done no research, so I will get drubbed again. <laughs> I felt good about my most of my picks. Just All right, so universe crush me. Uh, pick your Mia Culpa, though. Was it just the box office, or was it more? My Mia Culpa is Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. Betting against Christopher Nolan. You and I both basically picked, we are acknowledging that we gave each other the wrong movies. <laughs> right. Um, all right, so we'll get into the Barbie versus Oppenheimer and the Who Won the Year. But let's move on to the Suck It Haters I Was Right Award. I'll start there as well, because last year around this time, I got some chuckles from you guys when I gave Margot Robbie the award for Best Actress Career Moves. And this was right after she had delivered two bombs in Babylon and Amsterdam, although I don't think either was really sold on her name and face. But she was in two bombs in 2022. And I said, nope, she's doing the right things. She's got producing projects. She's got the Barbie movie. She's going to be fine. Lo and behold, she is arguably a winner of the year with Barbie and with all the other stuff she's set up. So I was right. Bravo. (laughs) Never bet against Margot Robbie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, what was yours? Mine is I perfectly predicted when the writer's strike would end, which I want. Oh, that's a good one. We taped an episode in April or whatever it was, and we were supposed to predict when it would end. And I said mid-October, and it ended exactly in mid-October. Hmm. All right. Well, good for you. I said mid-September, but um, yeah, that's a good one. My runner-up was, I said the studios were going to start licensing their content all over, which had started a little bit with Warners, but basically became the trend of this year. So I'll take credit for that one. Next, let's move to the craziest executive move of the year. This is not the executive fail, just a crazy executive move. I didn't really have a good one for this, but um, do I want to go with Bob Iger firing the CFO who organized the coup that brought him back? (laughs) Christine McCarthy, that's not bad. (laughs) Yeah, definitely unexpected. But, you know, it's hard because they they had such a fraught personal relationship, I think, that even though she did that, you got to look beyond the headlines on this one. And I think also, if she did that to Bob Chapek, what would she do to Bob Iger? Uh, she, she could do anything to him. But now she's she she's uh, fun employed. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to pick as the craziest executive move, the Writers Guild sidelining its lead negotiator, David Young, on the eve of negotiations starting with the studios. You've got a generational negotiation about to start with the studios. David Young has been their guy for over a decade. He is famously hot-headed and a screamer. All of a sudden, he goes on medical leave right before. Now, 
I don't know if he was sick. He may have been sick. But if he was sick, he certainly did not show any signs of solidarity or messages put out to the guild during the strike or anything during the strike. And then right after the strike, they officially replace him with Ellen Stutzman, who had stepped up to take over the negotiation. So he may have been sick. I don't want to say he wasn't, but he certainly didn't act like it. And then they replaced him after the strike was over. So that, to me, is a crazy executive move. And it worked. Yeah. Well, as we all know from the media narratives, the writers won the strike. <laughs> uh, my, my runner-up was Adam Aaron at AMC get, getting catfished. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about this, but my buddy Adam got himself catfished. Yeah, you know what I could have actually, <laughs> the other one I could have done was, this is a music one, but there's this guy, Merck Mercuriatus, who spent years buying up all these copyrights at prices that everyone said were inflated. And then now the House of Cards has sort of come crashing down. But because of one of the clauses in the deal, I believe, he's got the first right to buy the assets back from the company that he like ran into the ground. It's fucking insane. That is pretty insane. Yeah. All right, let's move on. The In Memoriam franchises that died this year. Craig, can we get some sad music for the In Memoriam? Of course. Expendables, I'm sad to say, was probably not going to come back in any form. I'll go with Indiana Jones. I believe that franchise died with the fifth installment. Um, I know that, that they had had hopes of continuing this on past Harrison Ford, but um, not going to happen. Maybe in TV, but not there. Do you have others? I struggled with the titles because I think some of the other ones like, okay, the Fast movie had a really bad year, but I don't think was is the franchise is not over. Scream has hit a rough patch. Franchise isn't over. John Wick is kind of over because Keanu Reeves is probably done with it, but that movie yeah, did but very John well. Wick had a huge fourth installment. The one that, that I thought about that makes me very sad because it's one of my favorite filmmakers, but Michael Mann's career as a filmmaker oh, at Studios oh, oh. Fund, I think might be over. Michael Mann, yeah. Ferrari, $100 million. It's probably not going to get to half that, uh, at least not in this country. But uh, yeah, he had a nice run. Uh, I would also add Shazam. I think Zachary Levi's film career is probably coming to an end, um, at least in a starring role. All these DC properties, we'll see how they manifest in the next incarnation. Uh, Brie Larson as a movie star. Is that a franchise that died? Uh, I don't know. Do you blame her for the Marvels? But you, you got to give her credit for Captain Marvel if you're going to blame her for the Marvels. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But I think she, like Adam Driver, is like better suited doing like quirky movies instead of trying to be a movie star. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So now it has come to the end. We're at the coveted Who Won the Year? Craig, can we get a drum roll? The nominees for Who Won the Year are Taylor Swift, Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters at Netflix, Christopher Nolan, Greta Gerwig, Brian Lord at CAA, the Angel Studios family, they released Sound of Freedom, Beyonce, Donna Langley at Universal, and Vince McMahon's mustache. All right, Lucas, do you have anyone or anything to add to this list? I have two to add to the list, other okay. than I would do all of Vince McMahon, not just his mustache. Oh, but the mustache needs to be a separate person or entity for this, because the mustache was pretty special. We omitted uh, Travis Kelsey, who um, had a all right. huge, all right. huge year. 
And in my continuing quest to make the show recognize Latin music, we omitted uh, Peso Pluma, who is the face of the rise of regional music. And actually, two musicians should do Peso Pluma and Morgan Wallen. I would put... Uh, yeah, they as, hang out together, I've, I've heard. Yes, huge <laughs> breakout stars in the music business. All right. Uh, well, Morgan Wallen's been around, but yeah, I agree. Not breakout's the wrong word, but he had the single biggest album of the year. All right, so those are good nominees, but aren't we really talking about Taylor Swift and then everybody else? Like, it's really not a debate right now who won the year. Taylor Swift won the freaking year. I mean, I'll go through a couple stats. Polestar just reported that she had the first billion-dollar tour gross. Um, if you add in a bunch of other shows that are outside their touring year, she grossed way more than that. 4.3 million tickets and an average ticket price of $238. The average show gross for her was $17 million per show. Unbelievable. And that doesn't include merchandise. That doesn't include merch. And Polestar estimated that the merch per capita, meaning per person that attended her show, was in the $40 range. That's based on their research on different venues. Which means that she's making more than $4 million a night for merchandise. Yes, and an estimated $200 million and likely higher with non-concert day revenue. So if she performs all the dates in 2024, she will have a concert tour that grosses $2.17 billion, which is more than the GDP of 17 countries. And that's just the tour. I mean, you look at, she had five albums in the top 10 of the Billboard 200 at the same time. She put her movie into theaters and it grossed $250 million worldwide, as we mentioned. She went around the studios to distribute directly through AMC and the theaters. Huge flex. She found love. Yeah, she found love. But she also, (laughs) she'd been in love before. But she increased the ratings for the NFL, which is the most popular media entity in the country. She managed to improve their ratings by dating a player. I mean, it's you could go on and on about. I mean, this and the Fed credited her with fueling like national tourism. Yeah, it's not time person of the year. There's no debate on who won the year. But Craig just brought up something. So one of my least favorite media narratives, I will say, of the year was because there's so much interest in her. Every news organization realized that if they wrote things about Taylor Swift, people would click on them and read them. There's a Taylor Swift reporter now. That's an actual job. People yeah. tied her into things that she had nothing to do with. And I'm not an economist, but I question how much economic impact one tour has. Yes, it's more than the GDP of 17 countries, but we're talking about the United States. I don't know that she like fundamentally changed the economy. She just had a really, 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 right, really, really, whatever. Really We're splitting point. hairs here. Taylor yeah. Swift won the year. Won the year. So let's pick the runner-up to Taylor Swift. So make the argument if you want for any of these people. Arguably, Netflix won the year. Ted Serranos and Greg Peters. The password sharing crackdown works. They grew the audience. The suits phenomenon. They started releasing data. Huge flex. Like arguably, Netflix. I'm torn between the Netflix guys and Greta Gerwig, who I think now can do is a director who can do absolutely anything she wants. Okay, let's talk about that because we need we didn't really address Barbenheimer on this show. Who do you think had the bigger year, Chris Nolan or Greta Gerwig? 
because I have a take here and it's probably not yours. I think that the success of Oppenheimer was more surprising and is more directly attributable to or will get more attributed to him than Barbie's success will to Greta Gerwig. However, Christopher Nolan was already one of the three most powerful directors in Hollywood and could basically do whatever he wanted as evidenced by the fact that he makes these, he's like one of the only directors who makes original, or this one is not original, but who makes sort of original movies and turns them into blockbusters, can demand windows, all these things. Greta Gerwig, this movie puts her to me, for me, in a totally different category. Like Little Women was a success, but now she's one of those directors who, again, I think can pretty much do anything she wants. And I don't think she was before then. I agree with Lucas. You think she won the year because of that. And Barbie is the number one movie of the year. Yeah, I think because they were coming from different places, her standing improved more than his did. Also, you have to factor in the disaster potential of these projects. Like, yeah. Oppenheimer was probably always going to be solid, even if it didn't make as much money. The disaster potential I, I don't know Barbie, about that, by the way. Donna Langley, when they bought this project, and it was not a Chris Nolan sci-fi extravaganza, there was a lot. I put Donna Langley on the Who Won the Year list because not just they, you know, Universal launched a bunch of new franchises with Megan and Five Nights at Freddy and a couple others, but like she took a big swing on this Nolan movie and it paid off. Not a lot of people thought that this would be on the level of even his previous sci-fi movies. And one of the real questions I think for 2024 is will Chris Nolan reward Universal for releasing Oppenheimer. I mean, they went all in on that movie. They had ads a year before the release. They treated it like a blockbuster, not a three-hour biopic. And he's going to have to choose where he puts his next movie. And I think Universal has pretty much earned the right to have right of first refusal on this. But we'll see what Nolan does or whether it'll be a straight auction again like it was for Oppenheimer. But he's still one of the most bankable directors. I mean, Barbie could have been the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial times 100 if, if it was done incorrectly. Totally. No, that and that is why we actually agree. I think Greta Gerwig does win the year over Nolan. The only caveat here is Nolan is probably going to win Best Director and probably win Best Picture at the Oscars. So that could change the equation a little bit. That's just because of the subject matter of the movie. Yeah, and it's three hours and the kind of movie that wins Best Picture. But I agree. Warners was very nervous about a lot of the things that are in this movie. And she has been proven completely right. And yes, they did a great job marketing it. And these two movies fed off each other. But I think the execution on Barbie and taking that to where it became the biggest movie of the year, I think she's the better candidate for who won the year, even if both of them pale to Taylor Swift. You know? Two ladies won the year. So no love for Vince McMahon's mustache? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, next year, maybe. Maybe he'll do something. Maybe it'll be like a well, full, no, he's, like... He's, well, I guess we can wait for the Ringer's WWE documentary for it to be his year. Again. Oh, yeah, that's coming out next year. Yeah, no, maybe he'll have like a Fu Manchu by then or like, a, you know, full creative facial hair that goes beyond the mustache. Matt, the only thing we haven't done yet is discuss your, your 2023 predictions. Oh, let's do that. Craig, You do you have the stats? I do, yeah. You have all of my call sheets from this year and my winning percentage. Can we, can we separate it into just box office call sheets and then overall predictions? Yes, I have that as well. All right, so let's start with box office. How did I do this year? Remember last year, 
I think I got to like, what was it? 60%, 58%? Last year you were, you hit 60%, which is not okay, bad. You're not a gambling bad. man. It's in the money. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this year you made 40 box office predictions, uh, in 2023 and you actually improved 63%, 25 Ooh. out of 40. Correct. Wow. That's, that's surprising to me. Cause I had a, a tough run in the fall. There were some that I just totally whiffed on, but then I feel like I ended the year strong. You did end the year strong. Yeah. You Including missed this on... week. I predicted, I took the under on Aquaman and it came in at 38. The over under was 40. So I win that one. Yeah, you've been hitting a lot on the unders lately. The, the unders <laughs> in the superhero world. <laughs> I guess that says a lot about this year. So, uh, all right. So I beat Lucas in the draft, and I improved my over-under winning percentage. And you so, also improved your overall predictions. You made 74 predictions that could be determined right or wrong this year because mm-hmm. a lot of them still, uh, you need to wait to see what happens. But last year, you hit on 58% of your predictions. This year, 61. So you're, oh. you're, you're, you're on the way up. Pretty good. Does that mean I'm a candidate for who won the year? You, who won the podcasting year? <laughs> who won this podcast? Lucas <laughs> has some work to do in 2024. I feel very confident in my predictions, just for the record. Okay, we'll see. Thank you to everyone who listened to the show this year. Thanks to all of our guests. We could not do without it, especially Lucas, especially producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank every single person who listens to the show. We really enjoy this show as much bigger and more impactful than we ever thought possible and it is all due to our listeners so thank you very much we will see you in 2024 craig cue the music <laughs>